Welcome to another episode of Residentially Speaking, a podcast dedicated to bringing you interesting and informative content from key builders, dealers, thought leaders, and influencers across the residential construction industry. I'm your host, Alan Hubble. In this episode of Residentially Speaking, I am reposting a podcast hosted by Dean Worley, who is with John Burns Real Estate Consulting Group. Earlier in the year, Dean had invited me on his podcast, which is titled New Home Insights. He invited me on to do a deeper dive from a building products perspective around sustainability and ESG trends in the residential marketplace. Given the topic, I suggested, and Dean agreed, to also include Sean Hunter, DuPont's sustainability leader for our performance building solutions business, who's also my colleague. Now, I've spent a lot of time this year working with Sean on sustainability in the residential market space as we further develop our initiatives in this area of growing importance. I find Sean to be one of the most knowledgeable people around on matters pertaining to sustainability. He has so much wisdom and experience to draw on and has done some deep thinking and exploration on the subject, as you'll hear in this podcast. So please enjoy this reposted, pre-recorded podcast from just a couple months ago featuring yours truly and Sean Hunter talking with Dean Worley from John Burns about sustainability and ESG trends in the residential marketplace. I hope you find it insightful and worthwhile. Thanks for listening. Hey, welcome to the New Home Insights podcast by John Burns Real Estate Consulting. I'm Dean Worley, your host. Each episode, we're gonna bring you some of the best minds in the housing business talking about some fascinating topics or trend or innovation or issue, just like the one you're about to listen to. Enjoy. Welcome to New Home Insights, the John Burns Real Estate Consulting Podcast about everything about the U.S. housing market. I'm your host, Dean Worley. Today, we're going to tackle another topic that's a little bit outside of our normal housing purview, not so much, which we've been doing a little bit more lately, which I love. It's It certainly, though, has impacts on builders and has impacts particularly on the equity investor side of the housing sector. Today, we're going to talk about ESG, that's environmental, social, and governance. It's basically this idea that accounting for the social aspects and impacts of investment activity rather than just accounting for that in terms of financial factors. So think things like sustainability or social responsibility or best labor practices, transparency, things like that. It's a, a massive movement, bigger than I, I realized it, it was. And it's, it's becoming a critical part of the investment world. To help us do that, we have Alan Hubble and Sean Hunter. They're both with DuPont. That's the Fortune 500 company you for sure heard about, but you probably think of them as purely a chemical company. They actually make a lot of products that touch the housing space. Alan leads DuPont's residential marketing team, and Sean is DuPont's global sustainability director. Alan and Sean, how are you guys doing? Hey, we're doing good, Dean. Doing excellent, Dean. Really appreciate the opportunity, and uh, hello to everybody listening. I appreciate you guys coming on. That's that's this is I, I I've been wanting to do this for a long time. We've had some technical issues, as you know, in the back, but this is this is a huge, huge topic uh, that that is I think is is fascinating beyond beyond again beyond even housing. I, I like doing these. So let's first start with this. How about you guys just give us a quick little intro that's better than mine about what you do, who you are, what you do for Dupont, and then we'll get moving. Sean, why don't you go first? 
Yeah, sounds great. So thanks again, Dean. Really looking forward to today's discussion. Um, so I'm Sean Hunter. I have the awesome responsibility of leading sustainability for our shelter solutions business within DuPont, which is our building and construction focused uh, business unit. Um, and what that means is that I'm responsible for setting the vision, the, the strategy for sustainability for the business, you know, ensuring that that's integrated with the overall business strategy. And then working with my, my fellow leaders and really across the business to drive progress against those goals, that vision. As part of that, I also have the, uh, the great privilege of leading a small and mighty product stewardship team, which is a, uh, a team of some very passionate and talented individuals that ensure that we uh, deliver our commitment to product safety, product um, uh, sustainability as well. So a uh, lot, of, lot of exciting things that I get to do here in DuPont. Alan, how about you? Yeah, Dean, yeah, same here. Uh, thanks so much for having us join. We really appreciate it. I, um, I've been with DuPont over 30 years. I, as you said, I lead the residential marketing uh, team for the performance building solutions business. So those are products like brand names like Styrofoam, Tyvek, <clears throat> as well as uh, Frothpack and, and uh, Great Stuff Pro. And so, um, I, you know, so I, I get involved in marketing strategy. I get involved in uh, digital marketing, uh, communications efforts. I work with our communications team. And um, I've been doing this for over 15 years in the business. Uh, prior to that, I spent 10 years in sales selling into the glass industry. So if you want to talk glass, I can do that as well. <laughs> but uh, 25 plus years into building products. So I, I know the space fairly well. And uh, like as Sean said, you know, really excited to talk about ESG and sustainability today. It's a, it is a hot topic. It's a, it's getting a ton of interest, growing interest. And, um, you know, we're all getting up the learning curve very fast. And, um, and so it should be a really good discussion. Sean, I'll have you talk to us about ESG a little more formally in just one second. But first, I wanted to touch on, Alan, you kind of touched on it just a second ago with Tyvek and Styrofoam. But what are some of the housing products that you guys do and how, how, are, how much of a, of a part of the housing building process are they? Yeah, so, um, so we basically make, you know, the technical term would be air, water and thermal control layers. We're managing air, water and, and uh, thermal energy, right, transfer around the primarily the building envelope. Um, and so that can take the form of wraps like a Tyvek, a mechanical wrap, you wrap around the house, fasten it, you would seal it with tapes and flashings to get a nice tight home, you'd be managing water as well, because water obviously causes, you know, durability issues, right, yeah. rot and you don't want water to get where it's not supposed to. Um, and then the thermal, then we have whether it's below grade or above grade, um, you know, product like styrofoam, we also have a, a polyiso, uh, polyiso cyanurate uh, insulation, but that's going to manage your, your thermal losses across the building envelope. So anything that are primarily building envelope, we also have some spray foam products that you would, mm. you know, seal openings to help prevent air infiltration, which of course is energy as well as moisture infiltration. So air, water, thermal is, is really where we, um, where we play. So almost the skin of the house. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Dean, I would just <laughs> add to that kind of from the, the overall shelter business perspective. Um, we have sort of a, another half of the business that deals on the interior side, sort of Corian okay. design business, you know, really focused on, on providing decorative surface solutions. And so okay. you, know, you can think about your, your Corian countertops, your Corian sinks that I'm sure many listeners have. Um, and wanted to mention that because a lot of the things that we'll talk about today, 
we're seeing the same thing on that part of the business as we are on the envelope side. You know, the increase in, in ESG, folks looking for climate, circularity, chemical solutions. So, you know, we've got a good perspective from a couple of different points of view. Okay. Hey, Dean, one, one yeah. analogy. So sure. you mentioned skin and yeah. one analogy, a picture I'd get in your listeners' uh, heads is more of a, maybe a windbreaker with a sweater, either uh, underneath or on the top. So maybe like a ski jacket, right? Okay. For keeping air, okay. water, and, and keeping you warm. But not a sweater vest, because I don't get that. You don't <laughs> worry about your, your shoulders and arms have to be cold. I don't understand sweater vest. I don't own a sweater yeah. vest, but it's a good point. I, I have never owned a sweater vest, I'm happy to say. Um, so let's talk about my rough take on ESG. Sean, do a better job of telling the folks at home, what is the whole concept of ESG? Yeah, this is such a great question, question Dean, because... Um, I think there are a lot of perspectives of what ESG means and, you know, you kind of hear about it here and there. And, and it's really important, I think, to differentiate between ESG and just sustainability overall. Um, I think you actually did a great job teeing up ESG because you mentioned, you know, sort of the investor focus. And ESG itself certainly has, has gained traction as a term and concept in the investment community. So at its heart, ESG itself is really about providing risk information to investors, right? It's about disclosure. It's about transparency. And, you know, with that information, investors can, can take that and, you know, make the decisions that they, they want based on that info. I recently heard just a, a clear statement, which was ESG is about transparency, not judgment. And I think that's a good segue over into the sustainability side, because when I think about sustainability, Sustainability is kind of more about judgment in the sense that the overarching question is, are we doing enough collectively yeah. as a society to address our big sustainability problems? And as a business, how do we do our part to help solve those big problems? So it's, it's you know, kind of the spectrum. And if I think about what, what we do in, in DuPont here, certainly it starts with that latter focus on, you know, what are our beliefs around sustainability? In our business, we, we basically have beliefs that say, we know we're not sustainable today. We know we need to do something about it. And we've chosen to help lead the way. So, you know, kind of putting all that together, um, you know, if I think about SG, ESG, I actually do start with kind of the, the bigger what matters yeah. most with all perspective. And, uh, you know, if you think about climate, right, it's, it's yeah. what do we need to do to actually manage climate crisis in the right way? An important part of that whole journey, of course, is uh, the investment discussion and ESG, of course, the disclosures are an important part of what we need to consider as we seek to, to get on a more sustainable path. How about the governance part? That kind of that covers the environmental, the social a little bit. The governance part, governance part is more about labor practices, right? I, Tesla, we'll talk about that in a, in a few minutes, but Tesla got in a little bit of trouble from with some ESG folks with that recently. But what is the governance part? Yeah, like? the Tesla is a fun one because it fits exactly into the distinction that I was just talking about. Um, well, the, the governance part, it, it's really all this, the same thing, whether it's an environmental issue that presents a risk to your business mm -hmm. or a social issue that presents a risk to your business or a governance issue. So do you have the right structure set up internally to actually understand and manage these risks, right? How are you, you considering these, you know, all the way up to the board and, and things like that. Um, so re regardless of which angle, it, it's almost an articulation of, um, you know, the, the things that we're used to considering from a financial perspective, we need to make sure we're looking at other potential risks that could impact the business performance and then provide that information to investors. 
So I think risk is going to be a big part of your answer here, but what is the primary motivation for financial players to be so concerned about ESG? Yeah, absolutely. It's when it comes to the investment community, right? You know, investment is about managing risk. And so ESG is just another lens of risk that that can give them the information they need to make decisions. Um, But if I then kind of parlay back to our, 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 you know, conversation on sustainability, there are um, kind of the much broader considerations about sustainability and where you'd want to dive into that. So for us as a business, certainly customers are asking for it, asking for it more and more. We've got major influences, influencers in our markets that are looking for, example, more aggressive climate action. And our employees, you know, I, there, there's just um, so much importance behind ensuring that we understand where our employees are at on sustainability and what they're looking for, you know, for us all to be successful. So. You know, we, we kind of embrace all of that, but um, on the investment side, definitely starts with the risk. Is there any part of this that is truly, for lack of a better term, kind of green? That is to say, motivated by, look, I want to do risk right with the world regardless or less so from a risk perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's really, again, where we kind of start our sustainability strategy um, because we do see sustainability you know, from the business perspective, providing solutions that allow the world to better manage the climate crisis, to better decarbonize as an enabler of our success, right? We, we see those trends. We, we see where folks are looking clearly for low embodied carbon materials, mm-hmm. right? And so if we're not tracking that and we're behind the curve, then, you know, we're likely going to underperform. So it is um, strongly connected between you know, sort of doing right, understanding where those trends are hitting your market at the right time and then acting upon them. Um, yeah. One of the things that we like to say, and this is, you know, straight from our our, uh, our chief technology sustainability officer, Alexa Dembeck, that we have to learn faster than the market is changing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll often talk about this decade as being the exponential decade. If you look at how quickly things are going to have to change when it comes to decarbonization, you know, again, back to the climate side specifically, um, you know, there's just a lot of change that you'd rather be in front of than behind if you're going to be successful as a business. Do you get, I, I, I imagine you get some resistance in the sense of, you know, should we trust you? Is there any sense that, you know, people are like, oh, you're going to need to show me that you really mean this? Yeah, that's a great, great question too. Um, I think certainly one of the ways that we do that is it starts with our overall purpose of a company which is to empower the world with the, with the essential innovations to thrive, which sounds like a great little throwaway line. Um, yeah. But we said, if we do that right, we are actually having the positive impacts that we want. And, you know, you can imagine if you are an innovator, right, you're a technical guru, nothing fires you up more in the morning than to, to know you're coming to work to make a difference. Yeah. And so that is sort of the, the core of, of what we try to do. And then the, the trick that you might be sort of highlighting is, um, you know, I can think of a million different ideas of projects we could commission to go solve sustainability problems. You know, a fraction of those will actually be things that we can do to make money today. Mm. And, you know, and, and maybe there's something that we could do five years from now, but today's not yet the right time, right, to make money. Yeah. Ultimately, we are a business. All businesses have to be successful, right? Yep. So some of the trick becomes understanding when those trends are getting so strong that the opportunity mm. is real. Um, but absolutely, as a um, as important as purpose has become to ensuring um, employee motivation and overall business success, like that, that's where it starts for us. Okay, 
Okay. Alan, I've heard that BSG is either a really big part of the investment world or an absolutely massive part of the investment world. Things like $400 billion or even $6 trillion. Do you have any sense of the size of ESG investing? That's a great question. The um, I, I don't have any hard numbers for you other than what I've seen from folks like the leader of BlackRock Capital, right? A large managed fund. He's put a number out there in his uh, CEO letter, um, CEO letter to CEOs. And he's put a number of like 4 trillion. So I think whether it's four or six, it's a yeah. lot of money chasing yeah. sustainable and sustainable investment. And you know, he's gone so far as to say it's, it's going to be, you know, the next big thing, right? Bigger yeah. than, bigger than digital, bigger than the, um, <clears throat> the social media and search engine, uh, you know, um, eras that we've gone through. And um, so I think the, the money is clearly, whether it's a push or a pull, I'm not sure, but it's clearly influencing companies and how they, how they approach this area. I, I, um, you know, your question was a good one. I was thinking about uh, with Sean, um, you know, why should we trust you? There, there, there's an element of both doing it, as Sean said, because you can, it, the timing is right. You can make money at it. There's an opportunity. It's the right thing to do. There's also an element of, you know, there's governmental policy that's pushing you in this area as well. And we've certainly see that in our business. We have any number of innovations that are both, we're doing it because it's the right thing. There's opportunity. We can differentiate ourselves as well as quite frankly, we're getting pushed a little bit. And so then yeah. you have to optimize and maximize that as well. So both a push and a pull, you think that's necessary to keep the growth, keep the momentum going? My personal, I'm interested to hear what Sean says. My personal opinion is yes. I think you need both of those. I think at some point the opportunity becomes then big enough that it is self-sustaining. Mm. You know, comp yeah, companies will do it because they, they see the opportunity there. You start to talk about some really big questions, like fundamentally, how do we navigate the transitions that are needed to be a zero carbon society, right? What, what does that roadmap look like from here? To, when we look back in 2050, how will we have gotten there? And yeah. certainly the push, the pull, the, the, the dynamics that um, it really constrain what a business can do and can't do, right? How do we massage those to ensure that we're moving fast enough in the right pace? Um, there is a little bit, so you do have, of course, the push, you, you have the pull. Um, you have to have good crystal ball and, and confidence and, okay, I know this is where things are going. And so one thing that I'd point out is, um, you know, just th this year we've had uh, just some, some really great climate discussions, you know, at, at the, the executive level on, on climate. And, you know, we realized that our climate ambition was not aggressive enough. And so that actually led us to make a commitment to increase our greenhouse gas reductions goal hmm. in line with the science needed to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees C, which is like the, the big target that everybody is shooting for under Paris. You know, world not yet on track to, for that. Um, so we made that commitment. You know, I can't tell you we know yet exactly how we're going to get all the way there, <laughs> right? Yeah. But, but we know that that's undoubtedly, again, back to as fast as, as the market is changing, we know we'll need to, to, to do that for it to be successful. You mentioned that a minute ago that ESG is almost like the next tech, or at least the leader of BlackRock mentioned something along those lines. Does, do you mean that ESG is sort of a driver of new growth, new jobs? Is it something where we'll you know, be actually generating new and different jobs to add to the economy through ESG? I might be a, a little uh, controversial and say, from the perspective of ESG being transparency and disclosure, 
right? That that may uh, be creating some jobs around folks who need to do some you know more reporting than we yeah. used to do. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. But really, that's where when you look at sustainable innovation, when you look at you know needing to learn faster than the market is yeah. growing, and how things are changing. You know, we do believe that the value creation structures are being changed as a result of sustainability, right? Mm. Sort of the fundamental driver that that's allowing or that's that's um, making folks more interested in your ESG disclosures. Um, but yes, there's value creation. And so, you know, if you look at, and I know this is one of Alan's favorite topics, but, um, you know, just decarbonization of buildings and, and what that means for electrification. You know, you, you can think that the, uh, mm. the value creation opportunity that's required to, you know, produce a successful building, a successful home, you know, a couple of years down the road might be different than it is today. Yeah, that's what I meant. I, I did mean that. I mean, jobs like in solar, geothermal, carbon capture, things like that. You're right. Though, if you create, it might create a few more jobs of people keeping track of things. That that's not necessarily what we want, though. Hey, Dean, one uh, another uh, element here, another thought I had around your question on how big this is. Uh, Sean and I were at a meeting over the summer with a number of large national the public builders, and you know, six or so of them in the room, I'm going to say more than half, maybe, maybe four to five of those folks were in new, had either the additional responsibility for ESG sustainability, or were new to the company specifically for the purpose of driving sustainable efforts in those companies. So huh. that was quite a change for like, we were not, I'm not sure, Sean, we were really expecting that. And it was, a, you know, so it's a positive thing. I have not looked at the other, you know, whatever there's 18 or 20 public uh, uh, companies, how many have, you know, sustainable officers or have, have that role. Um, but we were pleasantly surprised at that. Wow. Okay. So, you know, residential had always had the, a bit of the reputation of maybe you're lagging commercial, right? Commercial has some architects are driving it, maybe some, some progressive folks there are driving it. And residential was a, a bit lagging. We saw that and thought, okay, well, maybe it's the public, maybe it's the the Wall Street money that is going to is going to be an impetus here, is going to uh, a catalyst mm -hmm. for residential to kind of move forward and 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 you know catch up or at least at least move forward in a way that they haven't um, recently. I'm going to ask you a really hard question, so I have to ask it because that's what I like to do, just to make you guys squirm a little bit. But do you think that? In terms of his net impact, is ESG a net positive on the economy generally, or is it kind of neutral, or even some people might say it's a drag? What's your sense of that? I'll, I'll kind of pick up on where Alan just left off in terms of what we saw at that that um, summit this year, um, because again, th that summit was one of the areas where we realized, or, or we actually kind of brought that point of, hey guys, remember ESG and sustainability are kind of two really different things. Um, Within that group where what we thought we were seeing was, you know, things like the, the climate SEC potential rules that are out there, right? Driving more focus from, from some, some firms to just really look at their ESG reporting and, and start to issue their first ESG reports, for example. E even though that might be about disclosure and transparency, that was leading to conversations around, well, how, how do we decarbonize? And hey, what is our leadership opportunity? And do we really understand if we take this action or that action, which one's going to move us forward the fastest, right? You know, that's, that's far beyond just let's you know, disclose some risk. That's how do we think about action? How do we think about solutions? So from that perspective, I do see, you know, we, we've got some, uh, some, some anecdotal evidence that ESG is leading to kind of that broader solution space thinking.
Let's talk a little bit more about housing then, specifically housing. How does ESG impact? Is it things like, I mean, sustainability has an impact on the housing sector, but is it also things like, I don't know, waste disposal and building materials? What are the, some of the ways that ESG does impact specifically housing and, and building? Yeah, I think it's all of that. And, and Sean can certainly weigh in. He's a, uh, has a ton of experience in the analysis of this. So he, he probably thinks of, I'm sure he thinks of areas that I'm not thinking of. I tend to think of the impact on the building envelope. That's, that's when I think around, you know, energy efficiency and sustainability and the things we need to do to decarbonize. Um, and obviously that's where our products play. So that's, you know, not self-serving, but it's certainly myopic, right? Um, that's what I'm thinking about. And so in my mind, to meet many of these goals and to be able to, you know, offer up a more sustainable world, we have to improve our building envelopes. And again, whether it's air, certainly you have to do certainly have to manage water because as you tighten up building envelopes, as you add insulation to them, all of that contributes to reducing the drying capability, drying capacity of the wall. And so if the wall gets wet, boy, it takes even longer to dry because you have less airflow, you have less heat energy. So um, what that means, so it puts a premium on water management and then you have to tighten it up because to, to take advantage of these other technologies like heat pumps and so forth, they don't necessarily perform like a fossil fuel furnace and they're not going to heat the house up as fast, for instance. And so if you have a poor performing building envelope, you're going to be very disappointed in the what you perceive to be the performance of your heat pump. And it has nothing to do with the heat pump. It has to do with the building envelope. So in my mind, I tend to go there first, just when it's kind of my job and, and to think about that stuff. Um, but certainly those other areas, you know, uh, uh, chemicals of concern and recyclability and so forth. Um, are also areas that folks are interested in too. Yeah, it's, it's, if, I, if I kind of start with our overall business sustainability strategy, it's to partner with our customers and the industry to drive the total carbon of buildings to zero, to advance circularity in the industry, and to use green chemistry, safer by design solutions to you know, enable the industry. Um, and so, you know, Alan, I, I love the way that Alan thinks about um, how important the building envelope is in managing decarbonization and our, our climate goals. Um, because as we know, and we, we love to say, if you look at all the greenhouse gas emissions globally, about 40% of them actually come from buildings. You know, something like 11% related to the materials themselves and, and the rest due to, you know, operating the building, you know, running your HVAC, you know, those sorts of things, electricity, yeah. all of that. Um, and so, you know, it, it's it's really important to, to um, you know, keep the, the climate approach from a decarbonization and electrification part in mind, just based on the role that the industry plays in that particular issue. But if you look at the other sustainability dimensions, right, you look at the circular economy movement, right? If you think about waste, waste is a human concept, right? There's no waste in nature. <laughs> so, you know, how do we get better at that? Um, you know, just in, in our, our material economy, and we're seeing a lot of increasing demand for products that have more recycled content. And you know, how do we also use our building science knowledge and our innovation capabilities to take waste out of the value chain, right? Maybe we, we're selling a countertop and you know, that, that material is being modified and there's waste in the value chain. So you know, what do you do with that stuff? And then at the end of life, ultimately, how do you bring everything back? Um, you know, I, I've loved this this concept that that I think started in Europe around buildings as a material bank. You know, we we have we do have finite material resources, so shouldn't buildings just be like a store of materials 
that we use while they're building and then we reuse them again later. So, you know, some, some idealistic cradle to cradle sort of things, but ultimately, you know, those, those aspects of, of climate circularity and chemicals certainly drive a lot of the demand and the discussions that we have. Let me ask my question from a minute ago, but specific to housing. That is the way, is there a neutral impact or even a positive impact on the economy, let's ask that specific to housing. Because let's be honest, you can see a lot of the builders can go, oh, you're costing me money, having to worry about waste disposal, et cetera. Do you get a lot of that? Or do you see ESG's impact on housing specifically as being at least neutral? I see, um, so I'm not sure I'm answering it exactly, but if the question is, you know, am I gonna have to pay more for these sustainable features, you know, um, performance, uh, you know, um, I, I like to think of it, I would, I would suggest maybe the question is, am I willing to pay for that value that's delivered? And so in other words, we all live in homes that are better than they were a hundred years ago. We're paying a lot more for them. That's a, we've made that decision that we're willing to pay that for those extra features and benefits. Same in the car industry, right? We're paying more for cars today than we did 30 years ago. And we have more advanced systems in them, better comfort, better performance and go 7,000 miles between oil changes now. And so, and we're willing to pay for that. So, you know, it's, yeah, maybe there, there's some reason, if there's resistance, it's because the folks don't recognize the value that, that might be there. So I think if you can demonstrate the value that's there, I think there's more than ample opportunity to make that sale, if you will. And, you know, certainly some builders are on the cutting edge of that, right? There's some small, innovative, really green focused builders out there. Some of the large public builders now, as we mentioned, are focused on ESG and are getting driven to it from Wall Wall Street and 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 and, and money that's that they're looking looking at. That's going to drive them there. And so I think other builders are going to have to. And then you have government policies driving energy efficiency. And so if I'm a builder and I'm in the middle here, not quite sure what to make of it, the world's changing around me. I, I think you have to get a you know. There's so much inertia. I think you're going to have to pick your head up, look around and figuring out where you want to, where you want to play here. I think they're going to have to, because, and Sean touched on earlier, not only is the the market, you know, their, their potential consumers, homeowners moving that way, but their yeah. employees, Sean runs a, a monthly meeting that, you know, no offense to my other colleagues and the rest of our business, but it's a great, <laughs> it is a great meeting. It's focused on sustainability. He has great attendance. He makes it fun. There is so much energy on that call. Cause I think because folks really want to make a difference here. So if I'm a builder, you know, a smaller builder in a local market, the folks I'm hiring, they want to make a difference too and feel like in their job. So I think there's this, I would not underestimate the impact that the employees have on, on driving this as well. That's interesting. I don't really think about, I think about what you said a minute ago about buyers though. Do you get the sense that buyers are pushing the home builders, whether they like it or not, to kind of follow these policies? The home well, buyers. I, yeah, the home buyers. I, I, you know, in some respects it's expected right? Like nobody, nobody expects to buy a home with windows that leak air. Like they just don't know. You mean I got to pay more money for a better window? Like that's a really delicate conversation um, to have. I, you know, I have them in my house. My, my windows are horrible in my house. I wish I (laughs) had put a little more money into them. Well, Um, you're the glass guy. How is that possible? Right. Um, Right. So I, yeah, that, that, that's a tough conversation to have. I, yeah. I think um, it's kind of expected. That's why I think the, the market's going to move the builders. If you can, if you're a, if you're a buyer, a potential buyer, and you're going to look at a home and, and there are big builders doing this now, you know, there's, you know, a couple of them come to mind 
that market themselves, you know, as kind of an energy, it's almost like a miles yeah. per gallon thing, right? There are so many dollars per month in savings or, or cost. Well, that's going to get your attention. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and, and, and anymore, we know the biggest builders are continuing to increase their share of closings of the market. So I, I just think it's, it's driving in that direction. If you're, a, if you're a, you know, smaller, generally smaller builder building in a single market or two, you're going to have to make a move here and figure out how you're going to build over the next five to 10 years. Yeah, Meritage comes to mind, one of the biggest home builders in the country, and they've been focusing on that efficiency for a long time. And they do exactly what you said. They advertise it very successfully, too, they by do. the way. Yeah. Let's talk I, about- I would just say, just to be fair to, you know, KB is another one. They oh, get yeah, into it yeah. very early, right? They market that. Beezer Homes is making a huge move towards mm. net zero energy by 2025. They put a stake in the ground, announced it in their annual report. That there would be net zero. So this net zero, you know, drive is it's coming. It's we're in the, we're in the early stages of it, but it, it is definitely coming. Yeah, there there are just uh, so many uh, in, in increasingly sustainability focused builders. I think um, you know some of these aspirations are as aggressive, as ambitious as what we've seen in the commercial market. You know, um, just in terms of their their drive and what they're trying to achieve. And we look at that and say, okay, great, our vision's aligned. Well, how can we help you, right? You want to achieve this type of HERS rating. Well, how, how can we help you get there? Mm. Okay, okay. Yeah, it has become just an absolute, it, it, again, more and more, it's going to be the absolute norm. If you don't do it, you, you better, as opposed to a, hey, we do more than anyone else does. Uh, let's talk about some of the pushback, though. So California had its its decision. They made a policy that they're going to have all cars will have to be electric sold in California, I think, by 2035, if I remember that correctly. It, it, there's been barely a peep about there hasn't been that kind of, of a reaction, at least not yet. Do you, but there has been to ESG, there has been a movement in some states to sort of uh, hit back against ESG. Does that concern you? Do you see that uh, being an, a major impediment to ESG going forward? I think any major transition goes through, you know, it's ups and it's downs and getting everybody aligned on a single thing is, you know, always impossible. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think if I, and I keep, keep coming back to climate just because it's so central to our industry. Um, you know, recent um, climate week discussions in New York and, you know, as we look to COP27 this year, um, the, the longer that the world stays off track to manage the worst impacts of climate, the more the pressure will increase. And so, you know, you're kind of either reading that crystal ball or, or you're not. But, you know, that, that's certainly the, the basis for our strategy. And so if, if that's you know, sort of a, a fundamental trend for where you're going, then the rest just kind of follows to it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there will be the, the folks that you want to collaborate with that who want, who need your help to enable their goals, as we were talking about, and, you know, other folks who, who might not pay attention. But, you know, when we think about sustainability and ESG, you know, absolutely an enabler of our, our overall success as a business. And yeah. in some sense, you might say why we've got sustainability and innovation paired in Alexa Denbeck's role, right? I mean, the two are just so fundamentally linked as an overall business success enabler. Yeah. It has made for some strange um, antagonisms though, because you have, I mean, these are, like you said, BlackRock, these are huge international investment vehicles and, and they're under threat by some of these states for doing what they want to do, which they think is in, in the best um, interest of their investors. I'm just, I, I, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. It might be such a, like you say, it, it's it's so big, the momentum's there. It's already, it's a, a falling snowball, whatever the dumb metaphor is. It's, you know, you can push back, but it's not going to work. We'll that's see. where I'm, that's where I'm at, Dean. 
Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Sean. Yeah. No, you're good. It will be really interesting to see, again, how these, these SEC climate disclosure rules evolve and are adopted. Um, yeah. You know, in, in parallel, I know one of the questions, you know, there's a there's a certainly an alphabet soup of sustainability. There's an alphabet soup of ESG. Yeah. And yeah. You know, the reporting frameworks and, you know, the DCFDs, the SASBs, all that stuff. Um, you know, there's the work that was launched last year around the ISSB, which was at the International Sustainability Standards Board to okay. harmonize ESG frameworks. Yeah. Right. So th their goal is to get everybody speaking the same language when it comes to ESG, because we're not there yet. And that was my, kind of my next question, Sean, is that we had this we had Tesla kind of punished for the government's part of them. They're clearly with, with electric cars. They're on the good side of the other parts of the ESG. It seems to be some other groups didn't uh, sort of downgrade them. Is that going to harmonize? Is that going to speak from this uh, sing from the same hymnal eventually? Yeah, yeah. The, the Tesla example is fantastic. And, uh, you know, Elon Musk doing what he does, um, I think for, for folks that might not not be as familiar um, basically, it was the S&P 500 Sustainability Index. Tesla was booted out and some other companies yeah. were, were, you know, um, allowed in. And uh, the response was, well, hey, if we're doing so much good to help drive, you know, climate action in yeah. the mobility sector, um, how is ESG any good? I think he called it a scam or something like that. So, yeah, well, you know, some, some very lively uh, tweets and memes and, you know, Elon doing what he does best. Elon often doesn't help himself on, on those things. He should probably he should get his fingers away from the from the the, the keyboard uh, once in a while. <laughs> right, but it, at the heart of the issue, though, was kind of where we started. That ESG is not about rewarding companies inherently for doing awesome sustainability things. Mm -hmm. It's about putting information in investors' hands, right? And so, you know, some of those companies just had more robust disclosures than Tesla. So, you know, that that's the way the, the system is kind of set up right now. Okay. There is a little bit of a disparateness to ESG. Not all of those things fit perfectly and neatly together. And so that, especially the G part, I feel like has is a little bit, uh, not separate, but a little bit different from the E and the S part, the environmental and social. Um, let me ask two more questions. One is... Going back to consumers, I mean, investors are interested in ESG because it, it does best by their, their investors, right? And investment uh, folks are want to give the best return on their dollar, and they think ESG policies, policies will get there because it, it, it lessens risk, et cetera. What about consumers? Should consumers care about ESG and be interested in furthering ESG from a consumer standpoint? Yeah, maybe, Alan, I'll start. Um, I think... As, as an inhabitant of this planet, you, you have to care. Um, if you look at you know, what's going on right now, the impacts from the climate crisis we're already seeing, the droughts, the wildfires, the heat waves, the increased storm intensities, right? The fact that what, Pakistan was like a third underwater from recent flooding and they're still, you know, it's gonna take forever to recover. Just insane things that are going on. Um, as that continues to happen and as we go from 8 billion to 11 billion people on the planet, like we're not going to be happy if we don't figure that out, you know, if we figure out a way to manage that. Um, so that, that's kind of on the, hey, just good human side of things. But on the consumer, you know, looking at your pocketbook impact, you know, think about the increasing supply chain disruptions that might happen, right? The increasing cost pressures and just how, how more, um, just how impacted the economy could continue to get based on these sorts of events that would continue to happen. So, you know, I think from, from both the good human and the, uh, the pocketbook perspective, there are some good incentives to to want to care about things like ESG. I hope you're right. I think you're we right. We are a science-based company, so you know, for <laughs> us, there's no question. 
there's a lot of folks who aren't science-based or even anything else. Um, let me ask you one last thing. I think it's probably best, Alan. Uh, can you give us a peek? What might, and, and Sean too, actually, what might be happening next from DuPont along the lines of ESG, whether it's sustainability or what have you? Any, anything kind of a, a future little, little sneak peek? Well, certainly the focus on, you know, reducing um, carbonization, right? Lowering carbonization. And so whether that's through new products, we, we often, whether it's through new products, new solutions, meaning, you know, some application innovations, maybe with existing products, um, uh, maybe in the area of fire, you know, could be an area of interest for us. Um, mm. Again, we, we think about, uh, we think about products a lot. We also think about application solutions. And so there's a fair bit of innovation uh, that goes in there. You know, how do you keep water out of increasingly um, complex designs of buildings or roofs? You know, think about how complex roof lines have gotten over the last 20, 30 years. How do you keep water out? How do you keep air out? How do you make all these materials work together? It continues to be a challenge with what architects want to design and what folks want to live in. Um, and so I think, you know, continuing to decarbonize will be will be a focus for us. Uh, and And that has you know, impact, whether it's in the products we sell or in the operation of the buildings. Um, you know, it, it could be that um, a particular product isn't necessarily any less carbon than another product, but its performance over the next 50 to 75 years, wow, makes a huge difference. And as yeah. Sean mentioned, that's, yeah. you know, that, that's where we think that we think the big levers are there in the operational side, at least in residential, but um, there's opportunity everywhere. Yeah. Sean, anything else? Yeah, well, I, I know that um, uh, you know, what one uh, projection is that Alan's going to have the most sustainability robust marketing plan for 2023 <laughs> that we've ever seen. Okay. Uh, but beyond that, I, I think Alan <laughs> really. That sounds like some inside base. That sounds like a little little internal stuff. Chal going on challenge there. accepted. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And really to, to all of our marketing leaders in the business and across the business. <laughs> Uh, but but you know, I think Alan hit it. You know, it's it's really more efficient buildings that use low-embodied carbon materials as we increasingly decarbonize and electrify to, to get there. Um, so what I'd say is, you know, we're we just had some some really great success with products that have been winning sustainability awards. And um, you know, if we look at things like our our low GWP froth pack uh, spray foam insulation that reduced the blowing agent global warming potential you know, by over 99%. Um, you know, our, our innovative styrofoam that reduced the embodied carbon by 93%. Um, you know, we, we've got a, Alan, I think mentioned the, uh, the Thermax NH product earlier, our non-halogen class A polyiso board that is a finalist for a sustainability award. And, you know, hopefully we'll uh, see where that goes in October. But, you know, we, we've got a track record of really bringing out some great sustainable innovations. And we've got just a whole bunch more in the pipeline that, you know, we'll, we'll be super excited to share with folks as we go. Um, but yeah, just, just more of the same. We've got, again, this climate strategy. We've got goals focused specifically on climate circularity and chemicals. And uh, I just can't wait to share, uh, share the things that we'll be doing when, uh, when we bring those out. Yeah, and I would also add that um, <clears throat> obviously none of this is done in the vacuum, right? So to the extent that we can collaborate with others, your listeners, whoever might be out there, it's going to take all of us to to make an impact in this area, and um, it's not going to it's not necessarily going to be only a scientist in the lab creating a new material, right, new solution. And 
because we're at the early stage of this, there's so much to learn. And I think we all have to learn together. And and, and that's where we're at right now. We're, as Sean mentioned, we're trying to learn faster than the market's changing. And we're getting up that learning curve. And we, we think we're doing a good job, but we, we can always collaborate with others and work partner with others to um, to bring these solutions to the forefront. Well, I'm glad you're doing it. Go ahead. Sean, go ahead. Alan, I think that comment is just so important because, you know, be it a big sustainability challenge, you know, we know that nobody can solve any of the stuff on their own. But, you know, for us, we've been very intentional this year about trying to engage in sustainability conversations with our customers, our partners, our influencers, because at the end of the day, it's really just about knowing where things are going and knowing where we can really help our folks who are looking, you know, our customers who are looking for us to help them. So we've had a number of conversations, you know, um, I can only see those those really sustainability focused conversations continuing to increase and expand and inform our strategies. And kind of back to the, the marketing plan comment for Alan, right? Part of his job is to, to help synthesize all that stuff together and figure out what we should go do. And for me, that's where a lot of the exciting magic happens. So yes, much more collaborative um, type energy that we need to harvest. Alan, you're on watch. You're being- I am, always. Okay. <laughs> That's right. I, I am glad both of you guys are doing what you're doing. I'm glad DuPont is doing what it's doing. And I'm sure this is happening on lots of companies uh, uh, across the world, but uh, this, is, this is good. I hope, I, hope it, I hope we see sustained ESG in the future. Alan and Sean, thank you guys so much for coming on. I love doing these episodes that aren't exactly just perfectly, uh, uh, you know, kind of a little bit of a round uh, peg in a square hole, but they're fun. Thanks a lot for coming on. Great. Thank you, Dean. Absolutely pleasure, Dean. Thank you, guys. This is Dean Worley for the New Home Insights Podcast. We will see you in a couple of weeks. This podcast is brought to you by DuPont Performance Building Solutions, who provides the marketplace with a full suite of weatherization, thermal, and air sealing solutions, such as DuPont Tyvek wraps, flashings, and tapes, DuPont Styrofoam brand XPS rigid foam board, and great stuff and froth pack spray foams. DuPont knows the homes you build today will need to stand the test of time, expanding, contracting, breathing, and protecting for generations to come. Be sure to check back often for new episodes. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Alan Hubble, and residentially speaking, that's a wrap.